This is Comic Shenanigans episode 37, Comic Reviews for the week of December the 19th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. As mentioned in the episode tag, this is episode 37, and it's the comic reviews for the week of December the 19th. Now, this is also the, I guess, the Christmas edition. Originally, this episode was supposed to go up on the uh, Sunday, the 23rd of December, but unfortunately, um, as you can probably tell in my voice, I was actually quite ill the last four or five days with a really bad case of the flu. Um, so I'm trying to get this episode up, so hopefully this will go up Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas. Uh, so we're going to take a quick look, a relatively quick look, at all the books that came out this week. That being said, it was a very packed week. Um, not so much on the DC side, but mainly on the Marvel side. On the DC side, we had about, uh, I think, maybe 13 books. Uh, and then on the Marvel side, it was more like 26. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking I'm going to be looking at about 21 Marvel books, 6 DC books, and then I'll, at the end, go through the list of the books I didn't have a chance to go through. Uh, just because there's so much to read and as I said even though I was homesick from work because I was quite ill I didn't really have a chance to read most of this material um, and as I, as I record this this is like Christmas Eve night and into the early more early hours of the morning on Christmas Day so I'll try and get through as much as possible and then we can uh, kind of move forward so let's start uh, alphabetically let's start with our first book of the week which is A plus X number three uh, now this is a kind of a, it's a weird book because uh, it's it's a hard book in terms of recommending it on a week to week basis because it's gonna just by the nature of the beast it's gonna be different every single time because uh, you're taking different characters and smashing them together with mixed results um, and that's kind of what I, where I was coming from here. Uh, this issue we see Black Panther and the Storm, um, written by Jason Aaron and artwork by Pascal Ferry, who is definitely not my favorite artist. Uh, and then we also have a Hawkeye and Gambit story, which is written by James Asmus, who writes the Gambit book, with artwork by Billy Tan. So if we just jump into this here, so we start off in Wakanda. We have a. I, I'm I'm just not. I kind of like some of the artwork by. Uh, um, the artist here, but for the most part, his his artwork is not really to my cup of tea, and I don't really think he fits Black Panther all that well. Uh, you have him and Storm having a bit of an interaction here. I just don't care a lot for what they've done with their relationship uh, coming out of um, Avengers vs. X-Men, and it's really unfortunate that they've kind of ruined this. But that being said, this wasn't the m- most horrible story, because it was at least... We kind of had them kind of parting ways in more of an amicable way, but it was still it still bugs me. It just still feels like it's so forced. Uh, the final story, though, we have uh, Gambit and Hawkeye teaming up against a, a monster. Uh, you know, it's not bad. Billy Tan's artwork is very sketchy, but at times he kind of is able to kind of hit a nice kind of chord. Uh, and you see a kind of a rivalry between Hawkeye and Gambit, which is kind of intriguing as well. You can kind of believe it based on their own backgrounds. I mean, they're all, they're both kind of bad boys in their own way, although you'd say that Gambit's definitely the better of the bad boys. Um, so yeah, it's it's not bad. It's just nothing. Not a lot about it really says I, you need to read this. Um, I mean, they, of all the books this week, and there were so many, this is not on the top of the pile by any means. Gave it a 6 out of 10. It wasn't awful, it just it didn't really go either way. And sometimes it's almost worse than being really bad, because at least then I can be like, you have to read this because it's so awful. Whereas this was just more indifference, if nothing else. 
Uh, next up is All New X-Men number 4. So this has been a pretty enjoyable relaunch, actually. I mean, I was really scared about what Bendis would be doing with this and if it would be too slow a burn. Um, although we're seeing with Marvel now um, a combination of the extremely crazy enhanced shipping. Like, the double shipping is rampant. So some of these books, like Iron Man, I think is on issue 4 or something already. Like, it's crazy fast. So you have that happening. And you also have a lot of these storylines like in Avengers where you're just kind of being thrown into the deep end really quickly and just going with it. So a more leisurely pace, as we're seeing in all new X-Men, isn't actually a bad thing. In fact, maybe that's kind of what's called for. Uh, Bendis wrote this, obviously, by Michael Bendis, and the artwork's by Stuart Eminen, who's doing just absolutely gorgeous work. Um, this is an interesting issue because this is kind of like the money shot. This is, finally, we have Cyclops seeing the younger X-Men, and they have a, a brief interaction. Um, I'm really interested to see how these characters interact and, and move going forwards, but there's definitely some quiet elements of this issue. Um, also, kind of a little bit of a, I can't think of the word, but a nice recurring theme. You have like a, a young Scott Summers kind of hanging back on his own, trying to get his bearings and think about like what, what to do next. What does this mean? And then you also see future Scott kind of in the exact same position. So it's kind of cool. Um, interested to see where they go from here, um, and what issue, what next issue could mean as well, uh, because obviously something big might, may or may not happen with Beast. Um, so yeah, no, this is actually shaping up to be quite a pleasant read. I'm interested to see what Uncanny X-Men is going to be like, um, and what all new X-Men's focus will be like when it's a little bit less focused on, I guess, Scott and his team, because I guess they'll take over, um, the Bachelor Illustrated Uncanny X-Men when that launches, uh, sometime in the new year. I forget exactly when, but it's launching in 2013, which is not that far away anymore. Uh, the next up is Avengers number two. Uh, I really, really love this book. I mean, this is, uh, it's not a surprise to me that I like it as much as I do. I love Jonathan Hickman. He's a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, Pairing him with Jerome Opeña is a great step because Jerome Opeña has got a, a kind of a weird artistic style that's not generally thought of being used for a big, big, like kind of a marquee book like The Avengers. But um, and I know some people like I know Brother of the Law wasn't quite sure to make of it, and I don't think he really thought it meant it was necessarily all that fitting. But I thought this was just an exquisite issue. We get a lot more exploration on this uh, ex Nilo character. We also see. Uh, it felt very cinematic because I loved the whole assembling their squad of Avengers uh, going and kind of activating this larger network um, and like even uh, seeing Sunspot and Cannibal basically retiring and then they, they get a phone call and they're like well you can't say no to Captain America we're Avengers now um, I'm just, it was just really really cool and I'm really excited to see where this book goes I mean it uh, I'm glad it's bi-weekly because I want to read this as often as possible. And it was just the last the last page just kind of made me feel like, holy crap! I want to read what happens next. Like this is this is a um, a page turner for sure. This is an issue where like you just get to the end and you're like, this was really good. I'm salivating. I want more. And thankfully, I only have to wait not that long, like two to three weeks for tops, and then I'll have the next issue. Jerome Opinion is obviously a very fast artist, and they have some books in the can already, and they're going to have, you know, rotating artwork teams. Fine, whatever it takes, just give me this book frequently. And it looks like we're going to get just that, so I'm very excited. I gave this a 9.5 out of 10. It was 
almost flawless. It was just even the over-the-top craziness of X of uh, X Nilo was fine. Who cares? Like I just I'm, I'm ready to go with it and just love it. Uh, next up is Avengers Arena number two. I'm surprised that we're already getting a second issue. I can't say I like it at all. It's still garbage. No, that's not fair. To be fair. Um, it's not all that badly done, I guess. Um, I just hate the... Uh, I utterly uh, hate the core concept. I uh, think it's absolutely a disgusting, deplorable concept for a uh, combo company to take characters that are, you know, relatively not the most popular, but every character is someone's favorite. And I know that doesn't mean you can treat every character well. But you also don't just take characters and throw them into a wood chipper, and that's basically what this book is. And it's it's a shameless, shameless wood chipper, because it's basically just Battle Royale and Hunger Games meets, you know, the, the youngest uh, superhero-powered characters in Marvel. So it's really atrocious and uh, just disgusting. And if you're... I just find it insulting. If you've been a fan of any of these characters, you guess what? Marvel doesn't care. Uh, this is written by Dennis Hopeless, who is not, you know, doing himself any favors in my eyes, with our work by Kev Walker, an, an artist I do enjoy. And this art, this issue actually isn't bad, and that's kind of what infuriates me, is that it's actually not written all that poorly. It's just, it's a concept I don't care about, and I can't imagine even lasting a few arcs. I just want it to be over, and I just feel like it's going to keep going on and on, and it's one concept over and over again. Does anyone care that much? I don't. But I gave it a 7 out of 10 because it actually, I like the characterization, and I'm guessing that we're not going to get a lot of issues that are actually this focused on characterization, but... I mean, I digress. It's just not really a book that I'm looking forward to or wanting to hear much more of. And that's, uh, of all the Marvel Now books, this is one of my biggest disappointments. That being said, speaking of disappointments, who hold your hat. We got Cable and X-Force, who are just raring to go. Um, Cable and X-Force number two. Uh, you know what, to be fair, Dennis Obos isn't running... His writing isn't that poor on this issue. We get a little bit more insight into what's going on here. Uh, Cable Holisk has a brain tumor, for lack of a better uh, word, uh, which is really like, really, he was hope he was he was healed by hope, and now he's got something else wrong with him. It's just like, come on, give the man a break. Um, the artwork's by uh, Salvador La Roca. Artwork, uh, the color art, sorry, is by Frank Damarda. I really don't like the artwork that we're seeing here, and I'm not really sure if this is more LaRocca's fault or if it's the colorist. And to be fit, and to be honest, I think I'm going to put most of the blame at the colorist. I think this is ugly, ugly colors. I don't think it's dynamic. Excuse me. I don't think it's dynamic. I don't think it's really all that eye-catching or appealing. I think it's really drab and dull, and I think it, it's not eye-popping. It just, it's just, it's ugly. It's really ugly colors. And I felt that way all throughout Invincible Iron Man, and I continue to feel that way. Get a company like, you know, I don't know if those listening really remember, but uh, in the early 2000s, late 90s, you had Liquid recovering, coloring a lot of uh, the books, especially the X-Books, um, because they were, really, they were one of the big kind of uh, firms that were doing digital coloring. And Liquid, they had really eye-popping stuff. Uh, I believe Liquid was the company that was... I, no, I, I can't actually recall, but I think that they were the ones that did Sal, Sal LaRocca's artwork when he did Extreme X-Men with uh, Chris Claremont in the early 2000s. I could be completely wrong, but I can't quite remember. That stuff was really eye-catching. It was really 
textured and nuanced and this stuff and the generally digital coloring has gotten so much better but this is just ugly ugly stuff um i don't enjoy it it's ugh, and it kind of distracts from the rest of the story like even the co- the covers look a little bit more interesting because there's a little bit more vibrancy but there's just it, it just feels like lifeless um and the story here, I don't know if I really care. Um, I want to care, and I want to see what kind of these visions are, and the idea of you know trying to stabilize Colossus, etc. But I don't. I'm you know I. It remains to be seen if I'm going to be able to enjoy this book on a regular basis. Maybe Dennis Hopeless has a great plan. Maybe he doesn't. I'm willing to give him until the end of the arc. But so far, the artwork's not helping me get through it. Um, but the the story is better than the art for sure. I give this a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Captain America number 2. This was weird. Um, you know, it it's definitely the Jack Kirby um, Captain America. It's not... And, and to be honest, if you're going to if you're gonna follow up uh, an amazing run like Brubaker, you should do a completely different take. Because otherwise, people are only going to make comparisons. So this is by Rick Remender, with artwork by John Romita and Klaus Jansen. Uh, Jansen obviously doing the inks over Romita's pencils, um, which is usually the way it is. Uh, basically, Captain America has been is in Dimension Z for a year, and uh, he's adapted as much as he can to protect this girl uh, throughout that entire time. It's a very dangerous world. He tries to use the dangers against um, whatever's hunting him, and uh, it, it's not much really happens. But it is quite, it's a thrilling kind of post-apocalyptic adventure. Uh, and to kind of see what exactly is going to happen next in Dimension Z. Um, and it, it's very strange. And um, it's kind of uh, an interesting ending. It's very, like, shocking. And it, it's unclear exactly how it ends. Um, I'm sure, I'm hoping it's a fake-out of some kind. But, no, you know, this definitely had me going. I just, I don't really care for where they are, but, and especially it's a year, so Captain America's aged a year in the time where hopefully he won't be gone that long. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's not a bad read at all. I'm just not that excited by this launch at all. Um, again, some of these Marvel Now launches, they either really grab me, or they just kind of leave me feeling indifferent, and this is one of the latter. Uh, next up is Daredevil number 21. Uh, this is really, really good. This book is solid. It's consistent. Um, regardless of the artist, the, the art, the color art is very consistent throughout, so it gives it a, a great, um, I hate the using the word consistent over and over again, but it gives it a really great consistent visual tone, and that's extremely important when you have a fluctuation in artists. This is by Mark Wade, with artwork by Chris Samney. Our uh, color artwork is, I believe, by Rodriguez, but let me just double check that, because I could be completely wrong. Uh, yeah, Javier Rodriguez does the color art. This is the conclusion of the Coyote storyline with the, uh, the spot. Um, really cool stuff. And then we also get a nice little uh, cameo at the end by Superior Spider-Man, which is interesting as well. There's also a tragic ending here when uh, Matt writes a letter to Amilla just kind of explaining that, you know, what you experienced was real, and I'm really sorry that I keep hurting you, and I keep... It's my life that keeps doing this to you. And uh, the letter just gets filed away in a long a long envelope of all the different love letters he's written to her, and uh, it's extremely sad. Um, but, to be honest, probably fairly realistic, given... This is the situation and the circumstances in this case in the Marvel Universe. Um, 
yeah, she's messed up. You probably wouldn't want to keep giving her these love letters, but it's extremely tragic. Like, the character Mila Donovan uh, had such hope, such uh, life in her when, Matt, uh, when she was originally created by uh, Brian Michael Bendis. And uh, over the years, uh, Brubaker really stuck it to her. And uh, it's not getting any better, for sure. But Wade really knows how to plunge that emotional knife in you. He also makes a good case for Matt Murdock really being pissed off at Franklin, being like, you didn't trust me. You, and then he, you betrayed me. Like, screw you. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, so I gave Daredevil number 21 a 9 out of 10. This was just a great read. Brings up uh, FF number two. Not a big fan. Uh, Fantastic Four is the superior book for sure. Uh, Fraction's doing okay work here. I'm not a big fan of the Alreds and artwork, and that's kind of the tipping point for me. Uh, it's not bad. It's just, it's quirky and weird, and you have to, it's very Kirby-esque. Like, this is a very Jack Kirby issue. Jack Kirby would enjoy this, hopefully. Um, that being said, I don't care much for the story, because I don't, Sorry, not for the story, for the Alred artwork. I get what they're going for, but it's not really really my cup of tea. The story is very esoteric and kind of strange and weird and fun. and it, it's, it's fine. It's just, it's not Hickman. It doesn't feel like there's a really big plan. Um, it, it leaves me feeling, again, a little cold. I don't really care about the, the Miss Thing character, and I like that she's kind of putting on the, the uniform, but I, I don't know. It just kind of falls flat. I give it a 7 out of 10, because it's not a bad read. It just failed to really excite me. Again, along those lines, Gambit number 7 also really failed to excite me. Um, I'm sensing some themes. <laughs> uh, I give this a 6.5 six out of 10. This is by Asmus, with artwork by uh, Neves. Um, I'm just... I'm, I'm really back and forth in Gambit and on the whole. Uh, I've enjoyed the last few issues more than the first couple, that's for sure. Um, uh, sorry, this artwork's by... Dio, Diogene Neves and Al Baron Nuevo. Uh, those are the, the pencil artworks with inks by Alan Martinez and Raul Fernandez with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Um, what I do like about this is that we get to see um, Pete Wisdom, uh, Faiza Shaw, I actually can't remember if that's her complete name, and you also see the uh, Black Knight, Dane Whitman, so basically the MI-13 crew, and they uh, go up against Gambit and uh, the crew he's kind of saddled with. Um, I'm actually surprised that they're kind of ending the storyline so early, so that we've already kind of seen the conclusion of him being in the, in the, um, in the thrall of this, this, this mobster. But uh, it, was, it was definitely an interesting ride, that's for sure. Um, I'm wondering kind of what we'll see next from here. Yeah, it is what it is. It wasn't the greatest book. Um, but I'm interested that at least we can kind of move forward and hopefully see something new and see some different storytelling. Uh, because I think there's a lot more that could be done. And so far we're not seeing a lot of that. So I'm excited, for sure. This should be good. Hopefully. <laughs> Uh, you never know sometimes. So that's a six and a half out of ten. This brings up probably my favorite book of the month, uh, sorry, of the week. Uh, it's absolutely spectacular. If you're not reading this, you really should be. Like, there's really, there's no reason why you should not be reading Hawkeye. It is one of the best books. I was talking to my brother-in-law this evening at a Christmas dinner. And I was just saying, like, if you're not reading this, like, you're you're doing yourself a disservice. It is one of the best books being published by Marvel or any company. It's just, and it's so full of uh, 
it's just it's got so much artistry to it it's i cannot say enough about it it's absolutely fantastic i adore this book uh there there just isn't any better in my estimation um it's written by matt fraction who isn't always my favorite uh author but uh he just uh, somehow manages to nail it over and over and over again um david aja is back on artwork and you know what like this book has a great, again, great visual consistency every issue because the colors are so great and it kind of keeps it feeling the same. So Hollingsworth is able to really keep that consistency from issue to issue, even when he's not, um, David Aja is not actually doing the artwork. This is a story of the, a bunch of different days in the life of Hawkeye, uh, right around Christmas time. So great. This is, uh, like a love letter to David Mazzucchelli. If you've not read anything with David Mazzucchelli, you should read that. And then read this, and then you'll totally see all the um, all the influences. This is just a gorgeous book. I cannot wait to have this in, just in, well, it's not coming out in hardcover. It's coming out right in trade. So I can't wait to have it in trade and just buy it and just give it to everybody and just say this is what a comic book can be in its purest form this is what the art form can truly be this is a movie that i want to read um and it's just like the, the la um not the last page but one of the last pages you have this gorgeous shot of this nice exterior uh, apartment building and all the snow is coming down and just hawkeye in his plain clothes just with jeans and like a sh and like a sweater or not really a sweater, but like, because the sleeves aren't totally all the way long, and he's got some bandages on, a bandage on his nose, and he's just threading a bow. And he's got like, the quiver just kind of hanging off his side. It just looks gorgeous. This is honestly one of my favorite books, and I uh, just, this is worth reading. Month in and month out, this is fantastic. Um, yeah, I can't gush about it enough. Although I'm sure you're thinking, okay, we get it, fuck off, but this is good. I gave that a 9.5 out of 10, and it deserved every little bit of that. If not, you know what? 10 out of 10. Don't care. I think this is my first 10 out of 10 on the podcast. This is a perfect book. I will read this again and again forever. This is like a Desert Island book. I would never stop reading Hawkeye. As long as these two are on it, or um, Hollingsworth is doing the artwork to at least keep the visual tone consistent, I will read it over and over again, and I will have the biggest, dopiest smile on my face. Merry fucking Christmas indeed. <laughs> uh, that brings us to Indestructible Hulk number two. Um, really loving, loving this. This is, last issue was a, a great setup, and this issue you get a very interesting team up between uh, uh, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner, as well as the Iron Man and the Hulk. Uh, Lionel Francis Yu is absolutely killing it on artwork, um, and I'm also loving uh, Mark Wade's take on the character, and him and, and Banner are the true, the true it couple right now. Like, now that being said, not everyone can write them correctly. Uh, it's like everyone saw the Avengers movie and was like, yeah, you know, we could totally do something like that. The problem is, uh, some of the places, like Avengers Assemble, which makes me want to rip my eyes out at points, uh, plays it very much like the movie. Like, those are the way the movie characters act, and so this is the way these characters will act. Whereas here, it still feels like the characters that they have always been, but they're having a little bit more snark against each other, a little bit more of a competition, a little bit more of a Banner wanting to be who he can be, um, and not just be under, you know, under Iron Man's thumb and Iron Man's kind of shadow. 
Um, next issue is going to be a little bit more about the action, it looks like, but this was, this was a damn good read. You should definitely pick this up. This is a great book. Uh, so that was an 8 out of 10. Next up is Scarlet Spider at 12.1. Thankfully, a 12.1 issue that really does feel like it's setting up a new, kind of, the next year of Spider-Man, uh, Scarlet Spider stories. That being said, issue 12 felt that way anyway, or at least felt like a recap and a, a good way to move forward, and now we're getting more of that with the 12.1. That's fine. You know what? Give me more amazing Scarlet Spider stuff. Now that Minimum Carnage is over, we can kind of take a power cleanser and move forward, and that's, to be honest, the best thing. Uh, this issue written by Chris Yost, our work by Paolo Sequera, with our with also uh, assist by, I guess, by Neil Edwards, with uh, inks by Victor Olazaba, with Tom Palmer, with colors by Fabio Doria, who does a great job in the colors here. I'm not sure, maybe he was the colorist during um, Ryan Stegman's run, because it kind of had the same visual pop here, but it looked really great. I'm loving Kane as a Scarlet Spider. Um, the shots here of Scarlet Spider in action were fantastic, even the the um, the shots that weren't action, where you see like the two cops talking uh, a few pages into the comic, they looked really good, but not too good, if that makes any sense. Um, I like the concept here that um, you have Kane again having to confront who he used to be because he sees this mark, and that's the mark that he used to put in people, the mark of Kane. Um, he goes up against the hand here. Uh, you see a lot of him actually fighting crime and him dealing with what that means to him. You see the Kingpins getting involved. Uh, you also see these these creepy um, like wolves, wolf people show up um, and coming to Houston as well. So this was a great, great read. Uh, Scarlet Spider is a surprisingly solid yet consistently enjoyable book. It's well worth picking up month after month. This is a 9 out of 10. Um, gives you pretty much everything you need to know to move forward. And uh, it has a great time getting there. So this is really good. Really good stuff. It's actually a really solid week. As we move into the, the last section, there are a lot of really solid books. When we get to the DC books, too, there's a ton of really solid performers. This was a really good week. This is part of why I usually like to trim down and maybe only do about 20 books. But... When I was going through, there was a lot of books either I th thought should be reviewed, because a lot of the Marvel Now releases, which are more or less interesting, even the issues that weren't as solid, or there's just some stuff that surprised me, but was really, really, really good. So I'm like, well, I better review it anyway, which is why we have so much to do today. So the next book that uh, we've got is, let's see, Secret Avengers. Speaking of books I didn't enjoy so much... Uh, Secret Avengers number 35 is definitely one of them. I just haven't been a fan of Remender's take here. I'm, I like his work in other books, but this just isn't it. Um, the whole Descendants storyline, it's its not awful here, and it's kind of actually almost interesting. I just, I want it to be over, because I feel like it's just going on too long. Um, and that's kind of making me more irritated that it just won't end. Um... Yeah, you know, because it is what it is. I mean, that's all right. I just and the artwork's not really my favorite either, and that that doesn't help. Because if if it had better artwork, I think I would at least be able to be like, okay, well, you know, it looks pretty good, but the storyline isn't the greatest. But when you're when you have artwork that you're not really that all that sold on, it's kind of sketchy and weird at times. That's Matteo Scalera is doing the artwork on uh, Recommender's uh, script. Um, it kind of makes it harder to really enjoy. The Captain Britain versus the weird 
and Hawkeye and Beast versus like the weird versions of characters on a weird like it's kind of necromancing earth um i was ready for that to be done really quickly and it just kind of belabored itself um i do like venom and black uh, widow teaming up i found that really a lot of fun and then you have father kind of breaking into the un and it just kind of goes on and then you finally have the rest of the universe kind of confronting what's happening and um, Sentinels in the Streets kind of lost its uh, impacts in Onslaught, which when it looked a lot better and a lot cooler, uh, because of the caliber of the artists involved. Uh, it, you know, this was a passable issue, but not much more. Six and a half out of ten, I'm ready for it to be over and usher in that new Secret Avengers, although I'm not sure about that either, because I don't care about Nick Fury Jr. all that much. Uh, next up is Thor, God of Thunder, number three. I think we're almost halfway through. Oh man, this is a big week. <laughs> Thor God of Thunder number 3, I give this an 8.5 out of 10, I didn't expect to enjoy it nearly as much as I did, I wasn't a fan of the last issue all that much, uh, this is written by Jason Aaron with artwork by Asad Ribic. you know what, it's really growing on me this story, this idea that there's this god killer and you have Thor kind of trying to find information on all these missing gods, and he kind of discovers that they're all dead, uh, then you have the adventures of the of the younger Thor, intercut with a little a, a few visions of the future Thor. You know, I'm actually really digging this. I did not really like the last issue, but this issue really it was really a lot of fun. It was kind of I can't wait to see where they go with this and to see uh, kind of what happened in the past um, to that that inspired the present and the future. So you know what? Okay, Jason Aaron's got me and. I didn't really, really want to like this, and the first issue I wasn't a big fan of, but after last issue and this issue, you know, I'm coming around. So I give this an 8.5 out of 10, because it was much better than I expected it to be. Um, now, a book that wasn't as good as I wanted it to be is Thunderbolts number 2, although to be, to be fair, I think I would rate this um, 8 for artwork, 4 for store. sorry, <laughs> I did that totally wrong, 8 for story, 4 for artwork, which is 12 divided by 2, which is 6 overall. Uh, Steve Dolan is the wrong artist for this, flat out. Um, the colors aren't that great either, although I like Guru FX. I think it's just because it's on awful, awful pencils. Uh, Daniel Way wrote this. It's not a bad story. I, I actually kind of enjoy it. I really like the idea that Thunderbolt Ross is against certain types of weapons be kind of being done, and he puts together this squad to kind of take it out. Um, and seeing how, you know, Venom and Punisher and, and, uh, Deadpool kind of operate is kind of interesting and seeing all their interplays as well is kind of cool. Um, but, uh, all that being said, as much as that's kind of interesting, the artwork is just not good. Um, it's, it's just not enjoyable at all. I just, I, I cannot stand Dylan's artwork and it makes this book a, a chore to read because it's just it's it's unattractive when if you had like Mike Diodato or someone who could really pop and you had uh, Frank Dorado who does great colors on his on his artwork uh, this could be a book to reckon with because um, Dana Way has actually got a really good handle on how he wants this Thunderbolts team to operate what their purview is and how they're going to really go about doing things but the artwork just doesn't support it in any way which is why it only gets a six out of six out of ten. 
Uh, next up is Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 18. Uh, I gave this an 8.5 out of 10. Again, a solid, solid book. David Marquez is a fantastic artist and is a worthy follow-up to Sarah Pacelli's, uh I guess, what, first year of Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, Brian Michael Bendis continues to do himself in terms of how well he's able to write Miles Morales. Uh, he has a great adventure here against a, a super strong, uh, you know, terror, giant uh, terrorist. Um, you got some great stuff with uh, Miles' parents here, as his dad is kind of confronting what he did to some Hydra terrorists and confronting his own guilt on the fact that he just killed these men. Um, seeing the weird uh, kind of. Uh, uh, friendship developing between Spider-Woman and Spider-Man is really fascinating um, because she obviously, you know, is Spider-Man's clone and it's just her wanting to kind of share with him who she is but not being able to do so yet. Um, it's a really interesting friendship and I'm kind of liking how they're developing it. Uh, and especially after he's like expecting her to yell at him and him, she's not yelling at him. Um, she's actually impressed with him. Uh, so really good stuff. Eight and a half out of ten. Speaking of really good stuff, Uncanny X-Force's last issue, number 35, came out. This was uh, very bittersweet. It, was, uh, it wasn't... Um, the, the rest of the arc is already kind of over, and, and this is more about kind of putting the pieces away. This is about Logan visiting Dakin's, uh, I guess, gravesite and kind of putting the rest of the... You know, who, everything he wished the Dakin could have been and who he could have been in a different life. You have uh, Betsy Braddock and Captain Britain kind of having a discussion after everything that's gone, uh, that's happened for them. There's a absolutely brilliant um, discussion between Deadpool and uh, Apocalypse. And it's really, uh, sorry, not Apocalypse, Genesis. It's not what you'd expect, but it's surprisingly heartfelt that Deadpool cares for this kid. And like, if you ever need anything, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, just Genesis saying, like, you know, you already were here for me at my lowest point. You were the hero who showed up to save me. And then just Deadpool not knowing what to do with that. Like, that's that's the first time anyone's ever come with that. I should get going before I spoil the mood with a fart joke. And then when he takes the Meditation for Hippies book, uh, well, not actual for hippies, but he says it's for hippies, and he takes off and he's like, I left something uh, you can get more use out of, and he left them some porn. You know, it was very in keeping with Wade's character, but also surprisingly gave it a lot of depth as well. Really, really good. Now, the weird stuff is where you have the three uh, brains of Phantom X having now been cloned into bodies, one of them taking off, um... And uh, I guess the Jean-Philippe taking off the Phantom X one is okay. And then there's a girl one now. Um, really strange. And then the way it ends is very kind of just a nice happy ending. I don't want Uncanny X-Force to continue because I don't think it'll have the same kind of grace um, that it used to um, under Rick Remender. And I don't know. Well, it, it, it remains to be seen. But the fact that they're hunting Bishop, an X-Man who is now a ridiculous, uh, damaged character that I doubt can ever really be used in a, in a salvageable way again, and they're going to be hunting him. So I don't care to see how that pans out, to be honest. But I really like this. This was a, a really soft send-off. Um, it was an emotional characterization-heavy issue, and it was really well done. Um, just fantastic, fantastic work by Rick Remender. Uh, the artwork here was by uh, Noto and really over outdid himself.
for sure. I give that a 9 out of 10. Next up is Venom number 28. Uh, this was a solid 7. Uh, it wasn't the greatest issue I'd ever read. It explains the... Uh, it, it kind of shows why um, Venom is going to Philly for now. That being said, it's kind of it's kind of weird, and I really like uh, Eddie Brock and Valkyrie's their interactions. Uh, I like why Venom's going here and going up against the UFOs, but it's not exactly a uh, a full and impactful issue. But it definitely gives you a lot to sink your teeth into. Um, so I gave that a seven out of ten. Next up is Wolverine and the X Men. I didn't enjoy this at all. This was not a good read. I gave it a six out of ten. Uh, the strangest heroes of all don't care for the tagline. Uh, Nick Bradshaw, this is not his best work. Jason Aaron, this is definitely not his best work. Um, I like Edie and what she does here. I like Genesis here. I like Kid Omega. I don't like that we're getting a, a, a you know, this weird Frankenstein story. And I don't know. It it alternated because some of it was almost interesting. Some of it I almost cared about. I almost cared about reading about the, this Frankenstein kid and and. Because he's in the um, the Brotherhood, uh, but other than that, it just kind of felt like it went on too long. I can't believe the storyline's not over yet. Uh, overall, did not care much for it. Six and a half out of ten. The less said, the better. Sorry, six out of ten. Almost gave it a full half. You know, half a half a rating more for no reason. X Factor two forty nine. This was a seven and a half out of ten. It left me a little indifferent. It was okay. It was kind of fun, but it didn't really do a lot. And uh, I guess it's just kind of setting up for the hell. I don't know if it's called Hell on Earth, but I forget what it's called. But they definitely they have a storyline coming up in the, the next issue. So uh, let me see. It's the Hell Earth War. Hell on Earth War. So it is Hell on Earth. But it's Hell on Earth War, whereas DC has Hell on Earth. Though, but with that weird apostrophe, because it's like Hell-El, or Hell and Kel, whatever. Sometimes comics make my head hurt. <laughs> um... This issue just kind of existed. It didn't necessarily go either way. Uh, I give it a seven and a half because it was it was, was alright. Leonard Kirk on artwork with uh, Peter David writing it. Um, you get you kind of get for the most part almost get to see the the full team kind of come back together. I like to see the interactions on on them. Uh, Pip's back. Uh, the Monet uh, personification, sorry, characterization made a lot of sense given her history and even Polaris's history with mental manipulation. Um, that being said, the villains were kind of, um, not all that intriguing or engaging or, or, uh, didn't have a lot of depth to them. So I like, and that's kind of where I feel an X Factor in general, because sometimes the, uh, characterization of the heroes is the highlight, but the villains are kind of, you know, it's hard to remember who they're going up against because the villains aren't necessarily all that memorable. Um, whereas, like, you've had the isolationist, he was a good, uh, memorable villain, um, but, like, if you have to actually, like, I have, like, 17, 18, I think it's, I have 17 trade paperbacks of X-Factor, and I'd be hard-pressed to tell you who half the villains are in most of these volumes, just because they're, they're not necessarily the strong suit of the series. That being said, there are a lot of other strong suits in the series, and, and that's why I kind of turn a little bit of a blind eye to the relatively bland villains, because there's so much more to sink your teeth into normally. And so much more that Peter David, to be honest, probably wants you to sink your teeth into, because that's what he's really caring about. So, it is what it is. 7.5 out of 10. Uh, X-Men Legacy number 3. We're getting to the point a little bit more. It's 6.5 out of 10. I like that he's kind of idea that he's going to maybe look for mutants and kind of do the Charles Xavier thing. Um, 
That being said, he's not quite there yet. <laughs> um, and it was kind of a weird, like, and uh, he kind of ends up with these weird devout uh, followers of Ogun, who was the man who kind of was a sensei to Wolverine before Wolverine killed him uh, because he kind of turned evil. Um, it does feel like we're kind of belaboring the point here. And then at the end, we get the surprise. Whoa, look, the X-Men are here. And that's what the next issue is going to be about. So I just want this to kind of find its... I don't want to see Legion constantly having to try and fumble around in his mind to get another new power under control. Um, I just feel like this this book needs to be more straightforward and less trying to be complex and fascinating, whereas it's just not really getting there. I gave it a six and a half, six and a half out of ten, because it's not necessarily a bad book. It's just it's trying harder than it needs to to do what it's doing. Uh, it's relatively basic and it's trying to be so high concept and complex uh, mainly because the character involved can be complex and can be high concept but they're not treating it that way so or at least they're not doing an effective job of doing it that way um, this issue is written by Simon Spurrier and the artwork is I believe by uh, Tanang Watt uh, if that's how you actually pronounce it but let me just double check um, that that is Actually, the name of the artist, uh, yeah, Tanning Watt, uh, with our work with inks by Craig Young and colors by Jose Villarabia. Or uh, I've, I've massacred that, I apologize, I'm not good with names sometimes. So that's a six and a half out of ten, and that's all of the Marvel books. That was a lot, that was 21 books, and uh, you know what, considering I did that in about 41 minutes. So that's uh, not too bad. That's almost less than two minutes an issue. So I actually ran through that a lot quicker than I thought possible. Uh, we have 60 C books just to run through now. We've got Wonder Woman number 15. Sorry, that's not alphabetical, so let's, let's start uh, alphabetical. we got Batwoman number 15. Really, really dug this. It was a very different issue. It was all about um, Megasaur, but this was really, really good. It wasn't even by J.H. Williams III. Um... Although, I guess the first page and the last page were. Um, he was uh, the artist on page 1 and 20. Uh, but the, uh, it's co-written this issue. Uh, it's by J.H. Holmes III and uh, W. Hayden Blackman. This is Interlude 2. And the artwork is by, on page 2 to 19 is by Trevor McCarthy, who does a fantastic bang-up job. I really like how basically you're getting... Um, narration on the sides of each panel so you'll have a panel and the narration on the left side then a panel and narration on the right side and then back and forth back and forth and it's actually it's such a great great read uh, just seeing how Sawyer kind of handles what's going on in Gotham City um, uh, as you know we're about to have Batwoman finally show up with, with Wonder Woman to really lay a smack down on what's going on but just seeing how Maggie's having to deal with um, the madness in her city. Uh, this is such a good read. Uh, 9 out of 10 all the way. Uh, next up is Green Lantern New Guardian number 7. This book uh, could be a lot better. Uh, at the end of the day, this is not the most thrilling read. I don't like how they've basically changed Cal's origin. Like I thought in the earlier issues we kind of saw him being the last Green Lantern, but then he gets to Oa, he's not the last Green Lantern, he has to go to training with Kilowog. So anything that ever made him special seems to be half gone. Even though the Green Lantern books have treated 
the new 52 as if nothing has changed. Some changes are seeping in, and I don't like this one at all. Uh, this issue is written by Tony Bedard, and it's artwork by Aaron Cooter. Um, basically, the idea is that they go to Vakara so that Green, um, Kyle Rayner can't, sorry, Kyle Rayner and Star Sapphire and Arkillo go there so that he, uh, Kyle can learn from uh, Larflees to harness the power of the orange, and then they get attacked by the Third Army. Um, and bad, bad things happen to Syed, or Said, which is actually kind of sad. And we're building up to a next issue smackdown with Kyle vs. Gambit. I don't care much for this book. Uh, the artwork's really not all that enjoyable. It's okay, but the colors are really drab. Um, more has to happen with the Third Army storyline. At least we're getting a little bit more movement there. Um, uh, I just... This book is very much like... Well, let's go to another place. I'm going to learn another color. La la la. And uh, that's not really all that fascinating. Tony Bedard is better than this. Tony Bedard wrote one of my favorite spacefaring comics of all time, which is Negation for CrossGen. And this is a waste of his talents to me. Like This is constraining, and it doesn't feel like he's really being allowed to, to let it rip his imagination. I mean, this is also the man who wrote some of the best issues of Exiles during the World Tour arc, where he's just having fun and just throwing things around. I think he needs Paul Pelletier to come over to D.C. if he's... I don't even know where he is actually right now. He needs to have uh, Pelletier illustrating with him again. They're a great duo. They have written and illustrated some great stuff together because there's Negation and Exiles together. They're a great creative team uh, collaboratively. And maybe they could actually give me a great spacefaring book um, and actually give a great Green Lantern book. That's not what this is. This is just a, a weird... Kyle Rayner showcase that doesn't really feel even like Kyle Rayner half the time. I just don't care. I gave this a 7 out of 10 because I, it's technically not bad. It just may be indifferent. Uh, next up is Green Lantern number 15. Uh, talk about a book that just kind of doesn't do a lot for me a lot of the time. Um, so this book is obviously Simon Baz's showcase. Um, he's kind of cuffed on the cover. Uh, you have Jeff Johns writing it with Doug Monkey doing the artwork. The artwork's actually quite nice. Um, the idea here is that uh, you have Simon Baz trying to figure out more about the bomb that he found, and it kind of re resolves that storyline a little, which is nice. You have the idea that, you know, someone else actually, the, the guy he, he, who's van it was, he finds him just trying to be like, I want to know who stole your van and loaded it with a bomb. He finds that that guy actually planned to blow up the bomb in the first place. And uh, that this guy had screwed everything up. And Simon has screwed everything up. Uh, and then this guy's like, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to be an American hero. Uh, but he can't shoot him because if he shoots him, he becomes Green Lantern, but then the power levels are zero. Uh, you also have a little brief segue with uh, uh Hal and uh, Sinestro being in the dead zone, but you don't see much more about that, which is kind of a shame because I want to know more about them and care a little little, little less about Simon. Um, but you do have more of the FBI uh, as well, and the, the third armor shows up out of nowhere. It's kind of weird stuff, um, but at least the whole Simon being a bad guy is kind of being put to rest. And then I cannot believe he showed up, but you have... Uh, Green Lantern Badge shows up, and if you watched the recent Robot Chicken DC Comics special, you'll remember that he was one of the 
real characters from the DC Universe segment, and they're making fun of that this guy actually exists. And to be honest, when they first showed his image, I thought they meant Chip, because Chip is a very recognizable Green Lantern, but this is Badge, and now Badge has uh, showed up again in a comic, and he wants to find Hal Jordan uh, before uh, the Guardians go crazy and mad and... Um, soon the First Lantern wants to have his revenge, but, uh, it is what it is. It's not a bad issue. It's just kind of going along as it has been. Uh, 7 out of 10, solid artwork. Just the story leaves me a little bit cold. Next up is Nightwing number 15. Talk about a book that is extremely good. I mean, I think every single Death of the Family tie-in has just been so good. And this is yet another one. Um... This is really, really good stuff. Um, it's very emotional, though, because, I mean, the whole idea of of uh, Nightwing having the circus is a great one. And here you have the uh, the their clown kind of being attacked by the Joker, and his face is transformed into a uh, Joker face, and he's killed because he's like, you know, you can't, we can't have a knockoff. Uh, there's only one. Um, so Kyle Higgins wrote this, uh, Pencils by Eddie Barrows, who's a fantastic penciler. He does a great version of the Joker here. Um, I love his take on Nightwing, and even Batgirl looks fantastic. Um, I just love seeing how Dick Grayson's kind of reacting to this, you know, trying to make sure he's protecting all of his people. Uh, and then, you know, and a weird, there is a weird kiss here, though, because he kisses the daughter of Zuko. Um, and then at the same time, you then have this weird, like, kind of, uh, on the splash page behind their kiss, you see, you know, him going, Zuko, Zuko, kill my parents, and it's just like, yeah, I would get it, it's weird, but, uh, and then the, uh, Raya, who is freed from prison in the last couple issues, uh, you have Nightwing going up against her, she's been transformed into a Joker face as well, but she's, like, screaming and trying to get out of it, and he tries to protect her, tries to give her a, an antidote, it works, but but it's too late, and then she's gone, and she's dead, and then, uh, when he, he's opening up, like, kind of the costume that she's wearing, and he realizes that, um, there's a surprise party, an amusement mile, and Haley Circus is basically going to be under attack. Um, so I'm really kind of excited to see what happens next, but this is a really thrilling, like, kind of page. I just, I am floored by the overall level of quality in all of these Death of the Family storylines. They're all riveting, they're all creepy in, in their own different way, um, and they're just great, tr really great reads. And they're all in trade together, uh, they'll be great to read them all. Um, and what's nice is that you don't need to read the core story necessarily to follow. You kind of get every, all the information you need if you're just following Nightwing, but it'll definitely make you interested and intrigued to pick up the others because they are quite good. So I gave this a 9 out of 10. It was a fantastic book. Uh, also good, and also part of Death of the Family, was Red Hood and the, Night and the Outlaws. I think I'm missing some of the um, issue numbers here. All the DC books that I'm reviewing are number 15s. Um, so this is Red Hood and the Outlaws number 15. Really, really solid stuff again. This is Jason Todd uh, versus the Joker. It's written by Scott Lobdell with artwork by Timothy Green II. Um, there's just some great sequences here. Joker's really sick and sick looking, but I love Red Hood kind of taking on the Joker and realizing that, like, he's trying, he's coming to the realization that maybe he's been manipulated all along. 
uh, Joker's really played him for a fool, and he's he's had much more uh, kind of behind the scenes than he, even he realizes. And then uh, at the end, you have kind of the outside the outlaws uh, teaming up with or meeting up with the Teen Titans. So I'm excited to see what happens in Teen Titans 15. Because it definitely here at the end of this issue, you have Red Hood fall into a, a hole, and Red Robin's already there. So I'm interested to see how the intersection is. Uh, because we haven't really seen, I believe, where Rob and Nordic get taken out. Um, but to be honest, I haven't, I can't remember the last issue of Teen Titans all that well, uh, or if I even read it, so I might be completely wrong. I gave this an 8 out of 10, though. It was quite enjoyable. And that brings us to our last book, Wonder Woman number 15. This is really, really enjoyable. I'm not a huge fan of Wonder Woman, but um, Brian Azzarello's found a tack that works. And he's really exploiting it. I loved Orion here. I want to see more about how this works and more about the new gods. I've I've missed a few issues here and there. I feel like so I'm not necessarily on every like on the same page as this issue wants me to be. Cliff Chiang on the artwork. Um, I really like how Orion looks here. I like how he kind of interacts with um, the character he's given here to interact with. Sorry, that's not helping. Um, I like Hephaestus kind of giving Wonder Woman some new abilities by tinkering with her bracelets, which is kind of an interesting portion as well, where she's like, he's like, we're gods, we always tinker. Um, and then just, just seeing how Wonder Woman's kind of acting and her kind of, uh, fighting with Orion, kind of really cool stuff. Um, this is just really enjoyable. Um, if you're not reading Wonder Woman... And it's because you like you don't think you like Wonder Woman. Uh, Azrael's got a very different take on the Amazon, and it's one of the more palatable I've read because it just feels it feels different. Um, and, but the character doesn't feel unfamiliar. She doesn't feel too alien. Uh, it's just he's doing interesting, different ways. If I had to call it anything, it kind of reminds me in some ways of what. Um, Incredible Hercules felt like, because it didn't feel like a typical Hercules book, but Hercules was still Hercules. Um, but it felt like a Hercules book for people who didn't want to read Hercules books, <laughs> in some ways. Um, and this kind of feels like the same thing for Wonder Woman. So I gave this uh, actually um, an 8 out of 10. This was a very solid book. So that's all the books that came out this week uh, that I reviewed, which is a lot. That's about 27 books, uh, at least seven more than I usually do on the podcast. Uh, the books we didn't get to, um, the DC ones, now again, unless they otherwise mention it, they're all number 15s. Uh, Birds of Prey, Blue Beetle, Catwoman, DC Universe Presents, Legion of Superheroes, Supergirl, and Sword of Sorcery number three. So that's the only one that's not a 15. And then Captain America and Black Widow 640, Captain Marvel number eight, Journey into Mystery 647, because I'm just not interested in reading about Sif. Um, I read the last issue. It just didn't work for me. Um, and considering I'm a huge fan of Journey into Mystery during Kid Loki's run, that was kind of devastating that I didn't really enjoy it anymore. Uh, Ultimate Comics Ultimates number 19, and Extreme X-Men number eight. So thank you for listening to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This has been episode number 37. Uh, hopefully for our the next episode that's going to be going up, we'll be going up either on, um, let's see, it'll either be going up on Wednesday. So this this episode is going up on Tuesday, December 25th. So that's Christmas, Christmas Day, Merry Christmas. The next episode will either be going up on Wednesday the 26th, which in Canada is Boxing Day, so happy Boxing Day. Go get some good uh, some good purchases on. Um, or it'll be going up on the 
the Thursday, um, just to give it a little bit more space between this episode and that one. And that will be our kind of 2013, sorry, 2012 recap, uh, random kind of 2012 potpourri issue, um, sorry, episode, as we kind of look at the randomness of video games, movies, comic books, uh, all sorts of assorted media, and kind of it'll be me and my special guest Paul Scores, Nathan Struck, and Amber Struck, and we'll be going through all sorts of things. We've already recorded, so it's a pretty good episode. It's about two, I think, almost two and a half hours long, um, and you should definitely uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, our next review episode will be a relatively short one, as I think there's about six or seven books coming out combined from DC and Marvel next week. Uh, the big one, obviously, being the um, the big Amazing Spider-Man 700, as well as an issue of Avenging Spider-Man, um, and then a bunch of DC books. I think that's all there is from Marvel is just the two, and I think there's about four DC books, including Justice League, and then that'll be 2012 in the books. Um, and then we'll see what we... And then I, I'm hoping that after that, so I guess that'll be... Episode 39 will be that review episode, and I'm hoping episode 40 will be uh, an episode that I'll be doing with my lovely and talented wife, uh, Kelly Chapman, um, and she'll be joining me on the podcast. I forget exactly what the theme is going to be, but it'll be uh, in her hands, I guess. So thank you once again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. As always, you can drop us a line at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, or you can also like us or message us on Facebook. I do have to apologize. I haven't been as active on Facebook recently with the podcast. Uh, with the podcast account, uh, I know that uh, one of our listeners, Alexander Fintois, I think that's how you pronounce the last name, uh, he had messaged me, and I apologize for not messaging you back. So if you are listening to this episode, I apologize, and I'll make sure to get back to you soon. Uh, and thank you for listening to our Heroclix episode, because that was the one he was giving us some feedback on. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, so once again, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, Happy New Year as well, although. Uh, we'll have an episode up there uh, before the New Year hits, but uh, thanks once again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans. I am your host, Adam Chapman, and uh, have a great Christmas. <laughs>